Hey everybody, thanks for coming back. It's kind of interesting. I went to First Family Church in Ankeny this weekend and they had a men's conference. And through that whole conference, one of the guys that I was thinking about was actually the guest that we have on today. Um, you know, just in all the ways that he handles difficulties, I think is is with a character that, that I wish I could model. Um, his name is Kurt Beyer and he's going to share a story just of some of the trying things that his family has gone through in the last, you know, year, year and a half. And, uh, it's handles a lot of the issues where we have questions and sometimes no answer. So I think that, uh, it was very, very good to listen to, very genuine to hear. And I hope you enjoy. Kurt, how are you today? Good, very good. Hey, thanks for taking the time and coming and sitting down with us. And I know that you're busy and <laughs> it's in the middle of the evening and you took time <laughs> away from your family. So um, I do appreciate it. You bet. So before we really get kicked off, would you tell people just a little bit about your background, where you come from, what your what your status is? Sure, <clears throat> sure. Well, yeah, my name's Kurt Beyer and yeah, I live in Ames and... Um, Let's see, went to Iowa State years ago, my wife up here, Jamie, um, we got married as soon as we graduated really and moved out of state for a few years and did our own thing there and then came back and ended up both working for Iowa State now. So have two kids, Elise is unbelievably, she's eight and Evan is six now. So we're getting older and older and so they're <laughs> getting older and older too. So did you um, guys meet in college then? Yeah, we did. Yeah, did we you? met in Iowa State, yep. So in the Years same ago. classes or what were you doing? No, we actually kind of worked together. That's actually a whole other story, but yeah, there's a, uh, we saw each other in a professional setting and then kind of moved forward from there. So we both worked a little bit of summer orientation and things, so. Nice. Yep, so she was going to grad school then and then I was an undergrad, so she's a little bit older than me. She found you an older lady. Yeah. That's what I did too, <laughs> it it's, a good, it's a good move. <laughs> So. But yeah, moved, yeah, lived out of state for a few years and came back and yeah, just live in Ames and, and doing the thing. So yeah, I'm an old farm kid, so try to get back and help my dad on the farm whenever Where, I can. Where's the farm at? Uh, outside of Pella, Otley, okay. Iowa. So Nice. Yep, so we're central Iowa kids. My wife's from Grundy Center, so we're not too far away from anybody. Makes we it, need to go visit. Makes it a little easier. <laughs> for the most part. Christmas is her easy commute. Yes, yes, about an hour every direction. So, so. Well, good deal, you know, mm -hmm. and I know that you know, we spent some time with you guys. You know, we were going to church together for mm -hmm. for a few years, and, mm -hmm. and we've, I, mean, I haven't seen you for <laughs> six, eight months probably. It's, it's been a while. It's nice to be it with has. you again. Yeah, man. it is. And, you know, I just know that uh, you and your wife, you guys were helpful to us. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that I haven't bought clothes for my kids forever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I would show up, and they'd be like, that's oh, right. that's Evan's T-shirt. Yeah. I'm like, it sure is. <laughs> I loved yeah. how much it cost. <laughs> he wore it for, like, so, three weeks, and yeah. he grew a foot, and he, exactly. <laughs> he handed it off. Yep. And so, you know, but just seeing you guys and your family and everybody, like, I thought that, uh, you know, you guys have always been pretty open and forthcoming and yeah. really shown God's, you know, the way that, you guys behave i think is is godly you mm -hmm. know what i mean it's 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 good i've always thought that when you know from looking from the outside outside in <laughs> everything's looking <laughs> everything's good. looking peachy buddy yeah but um but yeah and i know that you guys have had ups and downs mm -hmm. and i think that one of the things that i really admired was 
that you guys always kept God in the center. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's you you sur- you surrounded yourself with community, and you always leaned on God. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's something that I need to learn to do more. Yeah, you know what I mean? I, I'm. I pull my bootstraps up and put my <laughs> head down and just charge. And sometimes I need to just stop and raise my head and pray, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, that's part of the reason that, you know, that I said, I, you know, come and do this when you talk to me about it. And it's because that kind of our story, I guess, the last year and a half. But yeah, I mean, you, I, we found that there's just no other way to be. You know, we have people talk to us about that. And I'm really open and should say what we're talking about, but you know, I'm open about what's going on and, and tell people and some people say, oh, that's just amazing. You talk about that and it's like, it, it comes a point where there just, there isn't any other way, you know, there isn't any other way to see it really, so. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I know that our two, my oldest is five mm-hmm. and uh, your youngest is six. Mm-hmm. And I know that they, at least, my mine enjoyed spending time. You know, <laughs> yep. he would always be excited, and I know that since we've been gone from Ames, you know, he still asks about Evan, and <laughs> you know, still still wonders, yep. you know, what what's he doing? He's my church friend. And <laughs> when uh, I, yeah, when I left, I said Evan was like, he's like, where are you going? I'm like, want to go see Phil? Who's Phil? We remember James and Bobby's dad. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, I remember that. So he always yeah. connects with people. He remembers. Yeah, he's yeah. he's a social butterfly. That one. So yeah, and so you know, I know that. Eventually, we'll probably tell people what we're talking about. But you know, when when everything went down, right? Um, it was confusing for you know what I mean, yeah. like for everybody. And and you yeah. know, I think that it was hard. You know what I mean? And, and putting myself in in your shoes, I don't think that I would hold myself to the same standard that you did. And I know, you know, sometimes compliments are hard to take. Yeah. But you know, from from you handled it graciously. Right. I mean, you know, and I know that there's hard times and there's good things, but mm-hmm. um, okay. So let's. I can let's, just go in. Yeah, and let's get talk, into talk it a little story. bit and yeah. just start letting kind of people know what what happened and what we what sure. we've been talking about for the last ten minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was about a year and a half ago, September 14, twenty fifteen. Um, those are things you don't forget. I'm a very visual person, so I have a lot of visual. Um, things that I remember are rooms and spaces and people's faces and what they look like and what they do. And that day I usually bring the kids to school and drop them off at daycare. And at that time, Evan was in preschool, but he was only half time. So he would get dropped off at daycare, usually, you know, one day a week and then in the afternoons. And this was a Monday, so I dropped him off in the morning. And I can see his face, he'd go in the front door. And I usually dropped him off. If Jamie dropped him off, Evan would give, him all, give her all kinds of grief and oh, be sad and hang on her leg. And I'd drop him off and he'd run and he'd wave over his shoulder. and. That day he waved over his shoulder and um, ran in to see his little friends. And that was the last time I saw him with both of his eyes. Um, so later that afternoon, <clears throat> I got a call. Jamie got a call and she called me saying, you know, Evan's hurt at daycare. <clears throat> Here are one of his eyes, you should come pick him up. And I don't know, something about that too, you just think that there's some foreboding. But I remember getting in my car, leaving work. Jamie's like, oh, I'm in a meeting. It doesn't seem like any big deal. So why don't you run and get him? Okay. I just had this weird feeling, and I can see the road <clears throat> west of our house heading north out of town. It's like, I can see that road, and I can hear myself, and I prayed, you know, I prayed that everything's okay. Like, I'm sure it's no big deal. I'm sure it's everything okay. And I remember that, and I don't remember driving <laughs> up to Gilbert. I don't remember doing anything else <clears throat> until I got there. And yeah, he was bleeding out of his eye. They were holding him in the bathroom. He was crying. Uh, it was a big mess. And 
So we brought, I called, called Jamie, brought him, got picked up both of our kids because Elise was there, Allie was there too, um, after school. And so we loaded him up and went down to the emergency room in Ames and um, they said it was the worst eye injury they'd seen, save for one that's life-threatening. So they did a CAT scan on him to see what it looked like. So at daycare, he'd, he was playing tag with, out with his friends and there was a pole in this playground. And there's, not that I know anything about it, but there's a one and three quarter inch, you know, half inch by half inch square steel bolt pipe coming sideways out of this pole and he ran right into it. And his eye was, at that time when he was four, um, was 41 inches, 42 inches off the ground and the pole is 41 inches off the ground because I measured it. So some of these things start to freak me out a little bit when I think about it. But uh, So we were transported to Iowa City because there's nothing they could do. They were going to fly us in a helicopter, but they don't fly eye injury kids because they worry about air pressure differences. And later on we realized it didn't make any difference anymore, or anyway. So we went to Iowa City that night and my mom came up to grab Allie and my dad came up to grab Jamie and I drove the ambulance with Evan to Iowa City. Uh, we stayed up with them all night. They gave him morphine and all that kind of stuff. And then about four in the morning, um, the surgeon came to us and, and said he was gonna, you know, said what he was gonna do, try to save his eye and that kind of thing. And Evan was in a five hour surgery that first morning, Tuesday morning. And the doctor came out after the surgery and we had all finally fallen asleep and eaten and something. And it was my dad, Jamie, <clears throat> and then Jamie's aunt and uncle lived nearby and they came up to see what was going on too. And um, doctor came out, was very positive. You know, we repaired the injury to his globe. Um, the globe of his eye was, the word he used was um, filleted, I believe is what he said. So from 12 to seven and all the way back around the back of his eye. So the lens of his eyes, pupil, all of that was destroyed. <clears throat> and he was very positive, you know, we, we repaired his eye, we closed the globe, you know, we did, I mean, the guy's an amazing surgeon. Um, but when a child gets an injury like that, it's very likely his retina is detached by whatever it was. And again, we don't know if it was an impact, if his eye was closed and he hit it, or if it actually impaled his eye itself. We don't really know what happened still. There's a small scar on his eyelid, so it's possible it was just the blunt force, like a tennis ball, he yeah. hit it on something, and it pops. Um, but he said we had, the, and of course Iowa City has the world's best, literally the world's best pediatric retina specialist came into the surgery and said his retina is detached and there's no way to repair it. So at that point we knew he was never going to see out of his left eye again. His eye was destroyed. They gave us percentages if he would ever see it again. There'd be four surgeries that they could try to reconstruct it, give him a corneal implant, give him a lens, you know, donor lens, do all these things to try to restore the sight but without the retina. They said it was like a 3% chance he'd ever see light or dark out of it again. If a kid gets an injury, like, or if anybody gets an injury like that to your eye, um, the contents of your eye are isolated from your immune system. So if your eye is punctured and the contents are released into your body, your body will sometimes have an immune response to your eye. <clears throat> it's called sympathetic ophthalmia. I read a lot about it <laughs> in the last year and a half. And uh, what happens is your immune system attacks your good eye. And so then these people are completely blinded. And so. If his eye couldn't be repaired and he'd never see it again, the advice is to have it removed as soon as possible so that your body doesn't have an immune response and to attack, save his and other attack vision. the other eye. Um, they said apparently the guy who invented Braille had an eye injury as a kid and went completely blind. Um, so we had a lot of traumatic examinations to try to see if he could see any light out of it, if there was any vision in an eye at all. It was all a waste. It was all terrible. That's when we started holding Evan down. We held Evan down a lot over the last year and a half. Um, <clears throat> but it decided that we decided that he couldn't see anything and it would be best just to remove it. So as we left the hospital on, on Wednesday, they came to us and said, hey, we can get you in on Friday. 
So the doctor who does those surgeries was actually in a conference in Las Vegas, flew back just to do Evan's surgery. Um, I should mention too, on Tuesday morning at 4 a.m., the surgeon had been called in to do Evan's surgery and he was delayed because two other children came into Iowa City that night, that same night, that were worse off than Evan and he did two surgeries back to back. So he'd wow. been up for like 20 hours and he came and said, I'm gonna take a 20 hour nap, or a 20 minute nap and then we're gonna go. And so he'd done two kids who had eye injuries too before Evan that he didn't even know about when he got there. There's a lot of those things that are weird, but. Um, so yeah, Friday we came, we went back to Iowa City and Evan had his eye removed. And it was a tremendous difference really. You could see, it's hard to, they say it's hard to understand how much it hurts. Um, they say, you know, if you had an eyelash in your eye, you know, if you had any kind of corneal abrasion or something, it's terrible. And they're like, yeah. you can't imagine the pain he's in. And he did eventually open his good eye before that surgery. But as soon as he had his eye removed and he was awake on Friday afternoon, he had his eye open, he was watching TV, he was, it, it made a huge difference. So we immediately knew that we'd done the right thing. Long story short from there, over the next 147 days, <clears throat> he had three other surgeries because the way they repaired his eye socket didn't heal. So they give you an implant in your eye where your eyeball was and then take the skin from your eye socket and pull it behind your eyelid and sew it shut to seal in that implant and then you get a prosthetic underneath your eyelid. And that didn't close. <clears throat> they had a plastic conformer in there to hold between the, you know, the skin layer so your eye doesn't heal to the inside of your eyelid. And three times we would lay him down and open his eye and take pictures and, and you could see it was exposed. You could actually see the implant inside of his eye socket coming through. And that happened three times. And it was the fourth time um, it was repaired successfully. They gave him a different implant, an older implant, one that didn't have as much movement, that was a different kind of thing. And his eye healed after that. So he got his prosthetic for his eye February 8 of 2016. And after that, we really haven't, that's as normal as it can get after that. So yeah. his third surgery of the four surgeries though, something happened during the surgery that caused his eye to be open or it was dry or something, but he woke up from surgery screaming in pain for his good eye. And so he had some sort of corneal abrasion, some sort of damage to his good eye. We never, we don't really know what it was. Mm -hmm. um, they examined his good eye, but we don't know what happened. They examined his good eye and all the surgeries he had. So he spent six days, you know, probably three days for the first injury and three days after that third surgery with both of his eyes closed. He didn't want to open them. He was in pain, you know, <clears throat> he would go, People would buy him stuffed animals in the hospital. He loved stuffed animals, and he would be like, Daddy, you know, where's his eye? Where's his nose? You know, where's his arm? And it's he, like, he didn't want to look. He couldn't open his eye. He was yeah. too afraid, and he had too much pain. <clears throat> and it's like, you seriously consider having a child who's blind, you know, and, and what that's going to be like, especially after the third surgery. We didn't know what it was. We were in the hospital. He was screaming. We were in this waiting room, and it's like, we didn't know what was wrong. He wouldn't open his eye. He's like, my eye hurts, but it's his, it was his good eye, and it was just a big disaster. We pried his good eye open, and <laughs> gave him like some sort of numbing drop and that didn't make any difference and we didn't know what that was. So that was the worst, I mean that was, that was, I don't know if I can speak for Jamie, but that was the worst day of my life. Um, that was the only time we didn't know what to do. You know, we'd gone out of the surgery, we tried to repair all these problems, all this stuff we had and he's screaming in the waiting room and the doctors are like, you know, we don't know what's going on, we don't know why he's in this pain. It's like we didn't know what to do. It's the only time I, I feel like we didn't know what to do. Um, but yeah, I guess the whole experience it, it just, it, it, it didn't, I didn't ever question my faith, but what it leads me to do is to question the way I think about my faith and like, what these things really mean and you, why I... I think that, you know, far too often, and I think one of the questions that gets asked a lot is, 
why did this happen to me? Yep. You know what I mean? And yep. I, I would imagine that that's something that everybody would think about. I never have a good answer for that. You know, kind of, you know, I was talking about earlier, you know, Evan is such a sweet boy and mm. you guys, and with the interaction that your family has is, you know, you're not bad people. Why would bad <laughs> things happen to you? Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's interesting to me, you know, sometimes I think people use God as this little, little ticket. You know what I mean? Like yep. something's bad. Hey, here's my ticket. But you guys weren't <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's not even like <clears throat> that was you guys' feelings on things. And, um, you know, what, what did you, so when you talk about it changing your faith, what do you, what do you mean? I mean, we've, we've been few, uh, through a few things, you know, it's been about six and a half years since Jamie's mom died suddenly. Um, it's one of those phone calls too that changes your life. We got a call and um, we were in Pella and said, Jamie's brother called her and said, you know, mom collapsed at a track beat. She's in the hospital. You guys need to come. Um, and Allie was just a baby back then and we just zipped up to, to Grundy and she was gone that, that evening. Um, and so I felt like we had, learnt, we had learned the lesson that we needed to learn from that. You know, we, we were intentional about taking trips with the kids and doing fun and different things and, and living in the moment. And it's and like, relationship you know, type when, stuff. yeah, when, when Nancy died, it's like all these things are temporary. And, and she kind of held that family together. And now that she's gone, Jamie's family situation is drastically different. And it's like, we need to remember that all the time. And so when Evan got hurt, I remember my mom was, had stayed with Allie and was at the house and she left Wednesday night. This was after Evan's first surgery. And I remember talking to her in the driveway and saying, we, we already know what to do. We, we already learned this lesson. We already know these things are fleeting. Like, why does this have to happen to Evan to remind us of that? Like, like what's the purpose of this kind of thing? Like, how could this kind of thing happen again where we had this experience already and we, you know, Jamie's dad brought us to Disney World and we did all these things that we were like, oh, we're just going to live in the moment. And now it's like, what's going on? Um, and so I think the hardest thing for me to, to gather, and I've cornered a lot of... <laughs> spiritual people on this question including our pastor in Ames including Aaron is like like give, give me a re, give me an understanding give me a reason for this and I think the hardest thing for me to understand is that if there is one and I'm not even confident that there is if it's just the fallen broken world we live in but I'll never know I'll never understand yeah. and I call, he, he came over to our house I, I called him like I want you to come over <laughs> he, he sat in our deck and I was like this is driving me this is gonna drive me crazy I'm never gonna be okay with this and he said do you think if an angel came down on the deck right now and told you why Evan's gonna be an optoma you know uh, an optometrist someday he's gonna be an eye surgeon someday he's gonna you know, some, some like even 42 little things, would that make you feel better? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, tell me, you know what I mean? It's like, probably not the answer he was yeah, looking tell for. Me his prosthetic eye is going to deflect a bullet in some, ser you know, some future thing, some crazy scenario that yeah. says, this is why all this hell happened to us all these years ago. But he was right. What am I looking for? What kind of answer? The, the, I have to accept that I'll never know. And that's the hardest thing about it is just to sit there and say why and to, to accept that I'll never know why. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's the idea that God's ways are unknowable and above us. And I've got a verse, my mom is very helpful with <laughs> sending me these things. But you know, it, if, if there is this great master plan to the universe, I'm not privy to it. Yeah. And that's the way it has to be. You know, and, and I know that that's, I'm not a great theologian. <laughs> I don't study apologetics. Right. I'm sometimes okay with saying, I don't know. You know what I mean? And 
it's easier said than right. you know in in random situations or <laughs> when somebody puts you on the spot and plays twenty one questions about your faith right. than it is to live it out in a situation like you guys did. Right. But um, you know, and and so I I get that. You mm -hmm. know, just the I don't know. You know, and being okay with that answer sometimes is the is the hardest part. Um, right. So so right. now you guys when you guys are in the hospital and you're in the midst of these surgeries, what's what's going through the family's head? What are you guys, I mean, are you guys just in prayer? Are you talking? Are you trying to rationalize this stuff immediately? Or, I mean, what's that What's that like? No, it, it's all long-term. It's all long-term thing. And, and a lot of the thoughts that I'm probably sharing are things I wrote on Facebook. Because what would happen to me is, months later, years later now, I just have these repeating thoughts. And I keep thinking about the same things over and over and over again. and. What I would do is that I'd write them all out in some huge <laughs> screen <laughs> and post it to Facebook. And then when I would do that, I would stop thinking about it. So I'd have this thought, and it would re repeat and repeat and repeat, and it would flesh out of this whole idea. And then I'd post it, and it would be gone. So in the moment, you're always in crisis mode. You're going from one thing to another. All those surgeries that whole first week, you know, we got home on uh, Saturday sometime. I, I have no idea what we did and what we, you just get through it from one moment to another. And when he first got hurt, the, the doctor's in there, the surgeon's in there, the nurse's in there, the surgeon's assistant's in there, um, the pediatric retina specialist, apparently, the world's best pediatric retina specialist, is in there. You know, we're down to see his surgeon again to check to see other things. Like, you're just all over the place and going, going, going. You're just focused on the next task yep. and get in, yep. get in the right decision. You're just in crisis mode. And, you know, our daughter had been in the hospital a few times. Jamie's mom had beat stage four breast cancer um, when she was younger, had, a, had surgeries for that. It's like, it doesn't hit you until later. Um, and you don't think about it till later, because then when everything slows down and you're waiting, then you start to fester, you start to worry. Is his eye healing? Are these things normal? Is his eyelid okay? What's he gonna look like? Are kids gonna make fun of him? Are kids gonna, or is he gonna get used to wearing his glasses? Is he gonna go blind? 90% um, of sympathetic ophthalmia cases emerge in the first year. And I read scholarly papers. I'm not reading WebMD. I'm, I'm searching for the scholarly name so I could read these papers. Because you just, you obsess over it. Yeah. And, and it got to the point, too, where that's another one of my realizations. One of the things I thought about is that I'm just not in control of these things. And you have this illusion, this bizarre illusion of control. And I'm sitting in the doctor's office, or I'm sitting waiting for Evan's surgery, and I'm thinking, oh, did I tell the, the nurse the right thing? Did I tell the anesthesiologist the thing? I was going to tell him not to do this or to do this or to think about it. And, and I think all those things are an illusion of control. You know, I'm looking at his eye every day before he got his prosthetic to see if it's open again. And he takes a shower, and I'm looking at it, and I'm pulling his cheek down. And it's like, what am I thinking I'm going to see? I'm going to catch it a day before it would... I can't fix whether his eyes get heal. Yeah. I can't fix where the stitches are coming out. I don't even know why his eye didn't heal three times. But there's nothing I do about it anyway. So just being able to let some of those things go, because yeah, when you're in crisis mode, you're just rolling. And then when everything kind of settles down, but there's this big thing on the horizon, it just festers. It makes you crazy. So I did follow on Facebook. I did follow kind of the things that were happening at the mm -hmm. time and I would read them and and you did get a lot of support it seemed like mm -hmm. you, a lot of people would acknowledge that they read it or yep. wish you guys well um, do you feel that that was a positive thing I mean I, personally on my personal page, I don't always share as much as I probably should, <laughs> you know, and... It's definitely okay, though. Yeah. <laughs> you share as much as I do. But <laughs> it's all right. I enjoy reading it. But, you know, just having those people there and, I mean, 
I wish that hindsight's twenty twenty. Hmm. I wish that we could have been there more for you, but hmm. I didn't know what to do. You know what I mean? And and you did have. I hope that you felt that you had the people surrounding you and with you. Um, but with sharing and being so open with that thing, with hmm. with all the events that happened, right. do you feel that that helped you? to feel loved and to feel mm-hmm. that compassion and to f- know that no matter what happened, that there was people there for you? Would yeah. I mean, I mean, we had a lot of people messaging us, especially Jamie would probably get more messages than I would get, but you know, in all kinds of messaging services and, and Facebook and texts and everything. And yeah, I mean, people would say, what can we do? And, and there's, there wasn't anything anybody could do. Yeah. There wasn't anything we could do. Um, we were just riding along and doing what we could. And you know, I remember, I only really remember, really the things I wrote about Evan and my feelings on all this later on were my, my own self-therapy, <laughs> I think. But early on, I remember especially Thursday night before his second surgery, before he had his eye removed, he had fallen asleep in the hotel. We had to go to the hotel and stay in Iowa City. And we had fed him a bunch of white donuts because he couldn't eat anything in the morning before his surgery. And Jamie had messaged a bunch of people. And I don't remember what I posted, some huge screed about what I was thinking about. And that was, I'm I'm not a, I'm not a touchy-feely kind of a, a religious person either. I don't... I don't recall feeling things. Yeah. I think about everything as logically as I can. I'm just that way, intellectual, and, and I think I can you know, make a rationed argument for, for every Christianity tenet that I believe, which is probably just ludicrous. But that night I remember thinking, I don't remember what I posted, but all the messages Jamie was getting, and it's like, we're just overwhelmed with people saying, we recognize what's going on with you. We know that this is bad, that this is hell, that this is terrible, that this is the most crazy thing that you've experienced. And it did, it gave me this feeling of, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, but it's probably the only time I've ever felt that way. <laughs> yeah. The only time I've ever felt like that there are people um, thinking about us, yeah. praying for us, um, wishing us well, hoping for the best, thinking of Evan, um, you know, because that was the day before he was gonna literally have his eye, you know, taken out. Um, and he was four, you know, and we couldn't even explain it to him. He didn't even understand. Yeah. Uh, I, there's sometimes I think he still doesn't understand what's happened. Well, I know that James asked a lot of questions, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And he didn't, he didn't get it either. Right. You know, and we were trying to tell him, you know, because he knew Evan was gone for a little while. Yeah. And, you know, we explained to him what happened. Mm-hmm. And he, he had a hard time understanding that it was an accident. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He... Yeah. I think sometimes he's seen it as an improvement. Like he's getting a new eye. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, because I know that we had that. I would. Yeah. I think as any parent, when you see that happen, you worry about your kids. Right. You know what I mean? And yep. there's been times I've been called to the preschool to pick my kids up, you know, in, in it was probably a one month period. I got called one time and uh, I think my wife went to pick him up, my oldest. And his hand was swollen, and he said, "Well, what's what's wrong?" <laughs> what and uh, he's like, "Oh, it just hurts a little bit, and <laughs> you know, and it was a little red, and but it wasn't real bad." And, and uh, I was like, "How bad does it hurt, buddy?" And he's like, "I just don't want to move it." And I'm like, "It's fine." <laughs> Sounds, you know. And the next morning, he woke up and it was black and blue and swollen. And I was like, "Oh, you need to go to the doctor." And it turned out he broke his thumb. Oh, geez. You know, and then. Maybe two or three weeks later, we got a phone call, and I don't. My wife might have been 
working in or whatever, but for whatever reason, they called me. And right. I'm like way down on the list of people that you call <laughs> if there's a problem. Not number one on this I'm not list, number man. one on most any <laughs> list. But um, my oldest split his head open. He fell, or my youngest split his head open. He fell and hit a metal door frame. And, you know, and it was kind of maybe a little bit like what they explained to you. You know, they called me and I'm in the middle of work, you right. know, and they're like, yeah, can you uh, come by and pick up Bobby? <laughs> and I'm like, why? What's happening? Oh, well, he bonked his head. Like, he bonked his head and I have to come get him? <laughs> and they're like, well, it was bleeding a little bit. Is it It's bleeding a little bit or like it was bleeding? And they're like, and, you know, I, I think that they felt that I'm – Right. I'm not just dropping what I'm doing because my kid got a bump on his head. Right, right. And they were like, um, it's bleeding and we can't get it to stop. And I'm like, okay, I'll come <laughs> and get it. You know, and so I had to take him and get, right. get stitches. And, right. you know, and so it goes back to those things for me. And then, um, you know, I had a, I had a friend. He actually, it was a guy who worked for me. And he brought his daughter into a daycare and he would – they would bring her in at like five o'clock in the morning, something mm -hmm. really early. And so they would bring her in and they would put her back down and she would go to sleep at the daycare. Sure. And while she was there, um, one of the other daycare operators knocked over a bookshelf, a metal bookshelf oh and it landed on top of her. Oh my gosh. Um, and you know, I, I tried to be there for, you know, it was kind of the same thing. I tried to be there for him, but I can't give you any good, Wisdom, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, what am I gonna say? I love you. I'm here. Right. I don't know why bad things happen. Right. You know, and um, she ended up. She was in there. They had to put her in a coma, mm. and she had traumatic brain injury. You know, I mean, yeah. and she was two. Yeah. You know, Maybe. I mean, young, mm -hmm. and you know, there's just no no good reason. And so I, I think about it in my life, and you know, I know that after it happened, you guys' experience. I was really cautious. Yeah, I would, mm -hmm. I would see my kids run, and I'm like, "Slow down, slow down." You yeah. know what's what's yeah. around you. You know, and I've backed off some. I realize I can't. Right. I can't walk through my life with my kids in a bubble. You know right. what I mean? And right. I have to relinquish some of that. It kind of goes to that idea where I need to trust more and right. and not control that situation. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's a that's definitely a hard one, man. I mean, for me, the whole thing was it was the, my worst nightmare. It was the thing that I always worried about. Um, when Allie was born, we brought her home. She was born six weeks early. We weren't prepared at all. We had her crib put together, but that was about it. I remember we brought her home and laid her on the floor on a blanket. She was sleeping. And we're like, Jamie and I are like, what do we do now? <laughs> She's sleeping on the floor. I had recurring nightmares about stepping on her when she was sleeping on the floor. Yeah. And I had it for years. <clears throat> I had all kinds of crazy nightmares about different ways she would get hurt. Um, I saw both the kids fall down our stairs. I saw Allie go head over heels down the stairs once. I remember catching her at the bottom and thinking, you know, now we have to hold on the railing. You know, Allie fell once and hit her head on the coffee table. I'm like, literally, get rid of it. I put it on Craigslist. This thing is gone. I have this toolbox in the garage. It's my dad's toolbox. He was a mechanic at a John Deere dealership for a few years, and it's like the best tool set ever. <laughs> like, I don't use a tenth of this thing. And the drawer I have everything in is like the top drawer, the bottom half. It's got pliers and screwdrivers and pencils and all this stuff. And I'm always in there. And I'd close it, and like I didn't close it all the way, and I come out one day, I'm like, ah, it's kind of sticking out a little bit. And then I became obsessed with it because it was right at the height that Evan was. And I'm like, I have to shut this door because he'll walk in front of the van and he'll hit it. And I'm like, can you imagine if he hit his eye on the corner of this stupid steel drawer? And I did all of these things to try to prevent these injuries, and it was all futile. None of it mattered. Yeah. And and and, and that's that's another part of this lesson that that 
I don't have control of these things. Yeah, I can make them hold onto the railing when they're going downstairs. I can make them not run with a pencil. <laughs> they're like, I'm gonna get a scissors. I'm like, no, you're not gonna get a scissors. <laughs> but it's like, I can't do any of those things. And you know, I, I saw a therapist through part of this. That's a whole other story. Um, but you know, one of the things he told me was, how are your kids gonna remember you after this? Are they gonna remember you doting over them, watching over them, holding their hands when they step down on the curb? Are they gonna remember you? Like, is this paranoid, dad who's always scared that something's going to happen or you're just going to live your life and they're going to remember you as somebody who's fun and we had a lot of fun with dad we did these things and he loved us and he took care of us but he was you know and that was that really stuck with me because i i don't have control i mean the, the literally the thing that i feared the most that the kids would have some sort of permanent injury that would change their lives forever it happened and there was absolutely nothing i could have do save for move to another town or send the kids to a different school, but that was never an option. It's, it's absurd, and even then, it's like you don't even know if you're going to prevent it. So, you know, I, I just realized that these things that I felt like I had control over, I didn't, and that helped me let go of some of the burden of of being careful and watching of them. Because, yeah. you know, one of the lasting things Evan has, you know, of course, you lose your depth perception if you just have, well, have one eye. But for kids and for younger kids, they can. They said something like two weeks he'll be back to seeing things as normally as he ever will. And he'll have the ability to depth, depth perception will improve. You know, we played checkers that next week and he couldn't put, a connect, or connect four, he couldn't put the connect four piece in it. He was putting it behind it and dropping it on the table. Like he couldn't see the depth on the table even how far something was. Now that's improved in every respect except kids who have that can't see it when they go down. So when he looks down on a curb or down steps, he can't see depth perception vertically in okay. going down. And so I'm always worried about that. I grab his hand when he steps off a curb. I've seen him eat it on a sidewalk, eat it in front of my father-in-law's house. He, he falls down because he, he looks down and he doesn't see the depth between two surfaces that he thinks that they're level and they're not. And I'm bathing him, I'm grabbing him. I was like, this isn't gonna do him any good and it's not doing me any good thinking that I can somehow protect him. Because yeah. I, can't, I can't protect him. I literally didn't because I had no way that I could. And that was one of those things that, that's one of the many things that I had to let go. I think that you know, kind of back to what you were talking about earlier. The I think as as men sometimes we don't share our fears of that that stuff because yeah. I remember before my kids were born, I was so worried there was going to be something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. You know whether mm -hmm. it was a, a cognitive ability or you know they would be have some deformity or yep. you know what I mean I, I and not for any reason selfishly I just wanted my kids to have the most life that they could have, you know? And then as they grow, kind of the same deal. You got a baby-proof stuff. I remember we turned, <laughs> we turned our, we, we had a sectional, and then we moved some other stuff so that we had like a, like a big eight-foot cage in our living <laughs> room so the in. kids couldn't escape, you know? <laughs> and just to keep them away from that stuff. Right. And then, you know, as they get older, I think, you know, my, my two are so rambunctious. I remember I came home one time and, you know, they were doing somersaults and those things. and. <laughs> I remember James, the oldest, he looks at me and he's like, Dad, look at this trick that I learned. And I was like, I thought he was going to do like a little cartwheel or a somersault or, you know, something simple. And he jumps up on the couch. And before I can do anything, he dives off head first and then rolls across the ground. And I swore he was going to land square on his top right. of his head, bust his neck. And right. I just seen all of these things flash yep. before my eyes. Yep. And... Uh, you know, he's like, that was so much fun. I'm going to do it. And I'm like, no, I never <laughs> want to see you do that again, you know. And yeah. he didn't get it, right. you know. Right. And I think that one of the, in 
I don't know if you know this, but it, in 2008, when the economy was kind of bad, mm-hmm. um, construction slowed down. And yeah. so I ended up getting in a EMT short-term certificate. I went through a program and oh, sure. got an EMT certification. And um, mm-hmm. so I had to do some time in the ER and a time on an ambulance. Oh, man. And I remember that the first ER I was in was uh, Mercy Main downtown sure. yeah. um, in Des Moines. Yeah. And they separate pediatric and adult yeah. patients. And I was really glad because when I was on the ambulance, I had a couple calls where we had to go work on children. Right. And this is before I ever had kids. Right. And I did not like working on them. Right. You know, I mean, because I always seen them as this real fragile, you know, and after you have kids and you lift them up by their <laughs> arm and their leg, you realize what you can, you know, right. they're not this sensitive China doll, you know, but it, just the, I remember there, you know, times that kids would come in from a car crash or things like that. I had to do a rotation at the West, one of the, one of the West Des Moines hospitals mm-hmm. too, and they didn't differentiate. Oh, sure. And, uh, you know, they, these kids would come in and, and my mind, an adult, I don't know why, why I would put a different place in my mind for it, but the kids, I would always, in my mind, it would be like that kid didn't put himself in that situation. Yep. That kid didn't do that to himself. Yep. He didn't make the decision. And I would have this deeper empathy for the child than right. the adult. And I think with time, and you know, I probably might have got over that, but it, it did cloud my decision-making a little bit. Right. And I didn't like that because I remember working on adult patients who were uh, in far more serious condition than any of the other ones. Right. You know, uh, th- I didn't have that. I could mm-hmm. focus on my task, focus on my job. I knew what I had to do. I could take direction. I could do the things that I needed to do. But on the kid, it, I would always have these recurring ideas of this poor baby, this poor child. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and I couldn't get I couldn't get past it. And mm-hmm. It was, it was, yeah, it was hard. There's nothing worse than a pediatric floor, you know, and this kind of thing comes into, you know, what you experience when you're in the medical field with, uh, on the Pete's floor in Iowa City for, for whatever it was, five days. Um, you know, there's kids that, that have the whole room is set up for them. They've got the door decorated. They've got little trikes and tricycles and little carts outside the door and their name is on the door. And like these kids have been there for months or weeks or who knows how long and, you know, we were, we were a case, a specific case, but you start to look at some of the other kids that you, you see and you're like, we don't have it as bad as them. And it, it's kind of a weird mix because, you know, just because it could be worse doesn't r- really give you any comfort. Doesn't make it easier. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make it any better. And, and yeah, you know, there, there's all kinds of terrible things. I mean, I joke that there's no such thing as karma because of all these things that can happen to kids. You know, like you said earlier, like, what do these kids do to deserve this? Like, obviously nothing. You know, these, these are as innocent, perfect children as you can get and they're getting... Cancer disease, and most of the kids who who are Evans A's who lose their eye or even younger, they had um, the retinoblastoma. They have cancer in their eye, and yeah. their parents see it, and then they have their eye removed, and they have that from a very young age. And it's like those people are worried about cancer for the rest of their lives, brain cancer going up the optic nerve, and and these are the kids on the on the Pete's floor at Iowa City, and it's just a horror show. And you know, one of these times we had a lot of great nurses, and Evans second surgery, they wheeled us back there, and one of the nurses had pushed us back and gone with us, and we're like, oh, do you work on the Pete's floor? And she said, no. Absolutely not. She's like, I'm an OR nurse. She's like, I, mean, I get out of here as soon as I can if I ever bring a patient here. I mean, it's disturbing. It is. It's just, it's, it's terrible. They're building a new hospital in Iowa City, and it's almost done. And we have an appointment that's coming up in February, and it's like, I hope, n- I don't know anyone who ever stays there. I mean, it's a great facility. It's going to be wonderful. You can see down in a clinic. Like, it's great, but 
I, I, I can't imagine a worse thing to be stuck in that place. And I, I hate everything about it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. So I, I remember one, you know, back the Facebook post. I remember one of the Facebook posts um, where you praised Evan about his management of the situation, <laughs> how he kept, he kept his faith and showed it in, in amazing ways. I, is there a chance I could get you to kind of remind me and elaborate on <laughs> where his mind was in some of this stuff? He's a special kid. And my, if you know my sister, she, she has a, a son who spe has special needs and she doesn't like, and I agree with her, you know, there's this comment, you know, God gives special kids to special parents and she, she hates that and, and my mom hates that. And it's like this idea that, that somehow you're, because of your temperament or your personality, you're predestined to have some sort of more difficult situation than other people. And she's like, that's crap. You know, you, you, you give, you take what you're given and you move forward and you deal with it as best you can. And, and I agree. At the same time, Evan is a special kid and he sees the world differently than I do. Um, ironically, I mean that literally and figuratively. I mean, he, he, he's a completely different kind of person. He's more like Jamie than me because he's empathetic. He's all about people. I can't explain anything to him. I can barely explain to him the process of getting his prosthetic eye replaced when he needs a new one. I can't help him understand that he can't see things on his left side. You know, he held his hand up when he was five and he's like, why can't I see anything over here? I'm like, well, because because your eye got hurt and the doctor had to take it out. But I got a but I got a fake eye. I got a new eye. I'm like, but but you can't see out of it, Evan. Yeah. And I can't get him sometimes even to understand that. He he was crying. I, I don't know. I don't even remember when it was. Now I mean, there's so many surgeries. I mean, one of those surgeries. I think it was one of the first ones. And and you're holding him and you're hugging him and you're saying, hey, you know, the doctor is going to come and we're going to work through this and we're going to be it's going to be okay. And I understand it hurts and. He said, one of the times he said, no, that was in the emergency room. That was in the emergency room immediately after he got hurt. We were getting ready to load the ambulance. And Allie was there, and that was just, that was really unfortunate that she saw a lot of those things. But she came over to him, and he was mad at her. And I said, Evan, it's okay. We're just trying to, we're trying to tell you that we're here. And he's like, Daddy, I, even if I'm crying, I'm okay. Even if I'm crying, I'm okay. And, and that really stuck with me. His third surgery, when he had the corneal abrasion on his good eye, is when I, I mean, I, it just, it was the worst thing that I've, it was the worst thing, because I really considered him being blind. I really, I really didn't know if he'd recover from that. I didn't really understand what had happened. I remember crying on the floor in the office of our house so that Evan wouldn't see or hear. And my mom had stayed when we got back because he was in such bad shape. And I came back and sat on the couch and, and I just lost it. I started bawling. You know, I said, Evan, I just don't want you to be in pain anymore. I don't, I don't want you to feel this way. And he, he had had his eyes closed for two days. His, his good eye was just as swollen as his bad eye, which is actually proof that he had a corneal abrasion because we don't, really don't know what happened. That apparently happens if you have a corneal abrasion. And he, he laid on the couch for two days and he sat up with his eyes closed and he started rubbing my back. And it's like, how, how, can, how can a four-year-old have that kind of an, an empathetic response? To comfort how, you. How can, he have, how can that be his reaction? He couldn't see me. Yeah. He knew I was sitting there. But he sits up and feels along the couch and grabs my shoulder and then starts rubbing back. He's four. He's four and he lost his eye and he has his eyes closed for two days and, and he hears me crying and he's going to sit up and rub my back. It, it, was just, it, was, it was just how he is. And, and he is a people person and he connects to people. And again, I don't want to look for any kind of reason for these things, but, but I have to wonder how I would have handled that or how Ali would have handled that or any of the rest of us. It's like 
he's friends with everyone at school. You know, I worry about these kids are going to make fun of him. He knows everyone in his class. He knows everybody almost in the whole school. He knows their grandma. He knows their dad. He knows the car that they drive. Oh, that's Sam's aunt. She came to the Christmas party. That's, you know, that's Jack's dad's car. I saw him in the parking lot. It's like, I don't even know how he knows these people. And so it's like, <laughs> as he gets older, the kids aren't going to make fun of him because they're all going to know him. And they'll always know Evan as he is now. Yeah. And that's just him. And, and I, I don't know why he's that way, but... You know, and, and it's not any kind of comfort he gets from any knowledge of theology or anything. He's he's just a people person, a comforting person, and he loves all of us. And and when we go to Iowa City now, we take Allie along because for him, it's the four of us. And if the four of us are there, then he can handle all those things. And if Allie's there, Allie's his buddy. And and I, I don't know where it comes from, but he is he is a completely different kind of person than me. And yeah. a lot of it's Jamie, but it's even more than that. He's he's even different than that. So. Yeah, you know, and that's a that's one of the things that I really try to relate to my kids is mm-hmm. that we're a team. You know, we do things together. You know, we're we're a family. Mm-hmm. We we do things as a team. You mm-hmm. know, and, and I remember, you know, even my youngest will be like, "Only Gothiers can eat here." You know what I mean? And you know, only we, you know, we can only do this. You know, <laughs> and you know, yeah. And so I kind of understand that idea mm-hmm. that they travel together, they comfort together. Yep. They we go through this as a family. Yep. Um, so yeah. in the midst of all the turmoil and tribulation what I mean obviously it's got to stress the family unit yeah like were you guys able to pull together or did it put divides between people like how how did that work I mean because you know I know personally I find myself I, I suck it, you know, I, I become mm-hmm. a recluse when things go bad and, and, you know, I mow things over in my head and, you know, my wife is kind of the opposite, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? She really tries to pull it together. Let's talk about this. Let's get through it. Um, mm-hmm. how, how did that work for you guys? I obsess over everything. So as these things got worse and as things changed and we didn't understand them, you know, I was always looking for the next bad thing. You know, I remember very specifically <laughs> after his third surgery, after all the mess that was, um, I couldn't let it go. I couldn't think about it. It just it just drove me insane. And I was searching op- sympathetic ophthalmia. I was searching for the surgical procedures used to close the, the opening in his eye socket that they wouldn't heal. And I had all this stuff figured out, and, and it was making me totally insane. And Jamie was made more of, of the, you know, we roll with it, and we, it can't get any worse. Like, like yeah. we're okay with it, so we'll just move forward. It's only uphill from here. Yeah, I mean, how could it possibly get any worse? And I remember finally letting it go and saying, Jamie had gone to bed one night early, and I'm like, I'm going to watch Star Trek. I'm going to watch two of the new Star Trek movies back-to-back, four hours. I'm just going to chill. There's nothing I can do about it. His eye's going to heal. Everything's fine. Watched the two Star Trek movies, went to bed late, woke up Saturday morning. I saw his eye was exposed, which needed, which required the fourth surgery. And it's like after that, I was just, I was screwed up. And it didn't cause any pressure between us, but I would obsess over it, and I would say, Jamie, are you worried about his eye being open? She's like, I, there's nothing I can do about it. And it's like... I know, but do you think it's going to work? Do you think it's going to close? Do you think do you think we have to have another surgery? She's like, I, I don't know, and you know, she's very different when the kids are sick. She's all messed up. She's thinking they're going to, you know, they're going to get sick and they're going to throw up and they're going to have this big thing. And that was part of it. Allie had been sick a lot when she was a baby, and when they're injured, that's when I get all twisted up. So we have our own thing, and you know, I feel like 
We never both went down at the same time. We never both crashed and burned at the same time. If one of us was a mess, if I'm crying in the other room, <laughs> Jamie's in there feeding him his, his new, feeding, getting him fazolis you know, or something one of those days or taking care of him. And the days when Jamie's just like, I, just, I can't do this. This is, this is terrible. I'm going to go to Target. You know, I'm going to get out of here for a little bit. Yeah. Then that was the day that I was all right. That's the day I was hanging in there. So I feel like the only time we both went down at the same time was at the hospital after third surgery. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know what was wrong. Yeah. And we were completely without answers. And we were both just a mess. And that's probably why it was as bad. But no, I think we, we just tag team it. I think we were either one of us was with the program, or <laughs> we both were. We didn't both go down at the same time. No, if anything, and again, it teaches you that lesson again, just not take anything for granted. And, and we said, we're going to make good memories. We're going to, I'm always of the mind that I want him to, I'm so twisted up that I want him to see things. So I want him to, you know, watch that new movie, or I want us to go out and see it when it snows, or build a snowman, because I want him to have these memories. Because I'm afraid that something will happen to his vision, and, and, and his memories is all he'll have, and I want him to have that. And when you start thinking about that, you get really messed up. But, yeah. you know, I mean, that's why I ended up seeing a therapist probably. I think I started seeing one in January of last year, and it's like I had to do something. Did you find that it helped? Yeah. Okay. It was eating me up. I mean, it was wrecking me, you know, and, and, and I couldn't let it go, and it was... He told me I had PTSD. I don't really know if I... I don't think I can have PTSD without being in a war zone, but I, I didn't really like that diagnosis. I had... I had flashbacks of Evan in the back seat of the car. You know, I can't drive down South Duff to Mary Greeley. I can't pass 13th Street going down on South Duff because that's the way I took him. And he told me that was that was normal. That would fade, and that was good to hear that. And I hate pointy things. I don't like our meat thermometer. And Jamie gets it out. I'm like, I hate that thing. I want to crush it. I want to smash it with something. And he said that's <laughs> an irrational fear of something that's not related in any way to what happened to Evan. But that's a sign that you have this problem, and you need okay. to. Because I asked him, and this is why it was good, I said, I want to look at pictures of Evan. We take tons of pictures. I want to I think about this. I want to talk about this. I want to go through this. And I'm like, but it hurts. It makes me cry. It makes me sad. I, go, I scroll through this Facebook posts, and it just eats me up. And he said, you have to engage with these things because it is a loss, and you are mourning this, and you're going to go through all these stages of grief. And he said, if you don't engage with this, it's going to compartmentalize all these feelings in this little ball. And then the next time you touch it, it'll burst. And you need to go in and massage those things out over time. And he was exactly right, you know, because then if you put in this mind, like, I'm not going to look pictures of him, I'm not going to think about how it was, I'm not going to worry about any of these things, then when it stares you in the face, you know, when he tells me when I'm dropping off a preschool, I wish I looked like the other kids. Then I'm prepared for that moment because I've engaged with those feelings instead of them hitting me over the head. Yeah. And so his advice for that was was excellent, and and yeah, I would, I would, yeah, I would definitely encourage that for people because, I mean, that's not how I grew up. I listened to your <laughs> other podcast today, and it's like I didn't grow up that way. You know, my my dad's a very solemn, stoic fellow who you know, save for being under the effect of morphine, or being in the emergency room when your doctor tells you your grandson's going to lose your eye. I mean, I never saw the man cry. He never shed a tear. Yeah. Um, at his own father's funeral, he didn't cry. And that kind of stuff sticks with a son like me. And I wasn't raised that way, but I'm not that way. I'm an open book all the time. But even the open bookness wasn't helping me. <laughs> I needed to engage with someone who could talk. And I would engage with Aaron, the pastor, and that was great. But, but it, didn't, it, it wasn't what I was after because I was looking for something that didn't exist. I was looking for meaning when there isn't any meaning. Yeah. Um, and there's no why. So. You know, and I think that it's, you know, yeah, it's kind of funny because, yeah, when we talk about that empathy and growing up, that's, that's not how no. I really came up either. And 
I remember that I was sitting, I took a group of kids on a, on a mission trip and they all sat around and, and it was an amazing day. These kids bared their soul and just engaged in a way that I have never seen high school kids engage. And, you know, it's probably been six or eight years ago and those kids still stay in touch and talk about the day that they all were together. Mm -hmm. And I would tell you that all of these kids were crying and it was an emotional right. time and I didn't cry. You know what I mean? And like, it sounds silly that, that I say <laughs> it, but I felt like, was I missing something? You know what I mean? And so I think that the world tells us that emotions aren't masculine. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and that, you know, I've struggled with some of that through mm -hmm. my life with, you know, trying to, trying to represent myself as something <laughs> that, that, that maybe I'm not. Right. And, but I think through the years, and kids have done it to me a lot, mm -hmm. it's just kind of softened, softened my heart a little bit. Yeah. And, and it's allowed me to be able to engage and to be able to cry when I need to cry or, you know, just accept life or people's emotions are where they're at because right. you know i remember you know and, and i probably do it with my kids but you know it's i remember i was i was at a camp and there were these kids and the you know and they were i don't know what i was maybe 16 or something <laughs> and there was this girl who was crying and it made no sense to me and i'm like why are you crying, why are you crying? <laughs> Stop crying. and she's like I can't, i'm trying to remember what she told me but it was something like i'm I'm resetting myself or, and I just remember. She's needed a good cry. And I just remember looking at her cry. like, are you crazy? <laughs> like, I don't understand why you cry, right. you know, but that was just her way of ex getting all that energy, all that right. emotion out and resetting herself. Well, for me, it's like, it, it was, it was almost like a facade, you know, like, I hope my dad never listened to this podcast because I'm embarrassing, but you know. He was in, in that morning, that Tuesday morning, he, he was there with us. And it was very unusual for it to be dad because mom was with Allie and he came with us and the doctor told us that. And he, we all, I, I got up, I got up and walked, we were in this waiting room and I got up and walked away. I mean, it was the last thing I expected him to say. And I just totally lost my cool. And dad came over and he was talking to me and he put his hand on my shoulder like, this is a very unusual occurrence. Dad touched me. And, you know, he, he talked to my mom on the phone after that and told her what had happened. and. I remember later on, mom had said, you know, when dad called me from the hospital, he's just like, I just can't get a hold of myself. I can't get, <laughs> can't get it back together. Um, and she said, I told him, that's because you haven't experienced anything like this before. You haven't been there. You haven't been yeah. standing in the emergency room when this kind of news is delivered. Like, your stoic nature is, it's, it's your personality and it's who you are, who you grew up with, but it's ultimately, it's a facade. And, and you might not ever have that facade cracked by anything, but yeah. he did that day. And I didn't have the facade as much, but you know, everyone wants to be a tough guy, but you know, it's just, you don't even think about it. But I mean, there came a point too with this whole process that crying was, was a useless gesture then too. You know, you tear up a little bit and you're like, here it comes again. Yeah, yeah it, doesn't, like, it doesn't matter. Cause I just, what, who am I crying for myself? You know, for, for Evan, like, what am I doing? And so, you know, you get it to maybe a darker place, but part of me thinks that, you know, He's just a normal guy after all. You know, <laughs> I approve. I approve that he was. <laughs> I, I like that. I like that idea of it being a facade. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because um, Midwestern culture, yeah. farmers, blue collar guys, mm -hmm. especially you know, they're I don't, all Dutch. Very <laughs> down Dutch. in Pella, yeah, very sure. stoic. Yes, but yes. Uh, you know. I,
I, I look back at like my grandfather, you know, mm. came up in the depression, lived in Kansas, you know, blue collar mechanic his whole life. Yep. And life was hard. You put on a face and you get through it. Yep. You know what I mean? And that's, that's the mentality yep. that, that that generation had. Right. And you know what? It's, it is, I think it's that facade that everybody, everybody around you, you know, I'm getting through it. I'm looking fine. Right. And, and sometimes you fool yourself. Yep. You know what I mean? I, I remember I read this. It was a study, and it was talking about how they made people smile, and and then they made people frown, and they, they would engage <laughs> them during the thing. Yeah. And if they were forced to smile, if they like not even because they wanted to, they would force their face up right. into a smile, and they would find things funnier. You know what I mean? Just right. that, you know, and so you put on that somber look, and you... Mm-hmm. bite down on your teeth and <laughs> you know what's going to bother you nothing because you know that's right that's that mind that you're in and but yeah there there comes a time where we just have to feel that's part of the reason i posted the things on facebook that i did i posted about seeing a therapist you know i posted about crying in the other room you know i thought a lot about it on easter because <laughs> i i remember being particularly insulted you know thinking you know does god know how i feel does god know how bad this is of course he does. Yeah. The stupidest thing I've ever thought. It's the dumbest thought that I'd ever had. And, 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 you know, of course he understands pain and suffering and all these things directly, as directly as a father over a son. And it's like I wanted to put those things out both for my own self-therapy but also because I know that there are people that are feeling this way and thinking this thing. Yeah. And maybe they're not seeking help. And maybe they're not talking to their loved ones. And maybe they are withdrawing you know, from social circles or from their wife or spouse or whatever else is. And I remember thinking, you know, maybe somebody would read this and, and somebody would share this or I'd tag Jamie in it. Jamie's a lot more friends than I do. I'm like, maybe some of her friends would see it. And I had a few people over the years, you know, over the year and a half, reach out to me personally and say, this is really great that you're sharing these things or you made me think about some of these things. And, you know, some of these folks were, were Christians and some of these people were people I knew in grad school who definitely were not. And, yeah. you know, one in particular was like, I can't believe the kind of stuff that you're talking about on Facebook. I can't believe the stuff that this happened, but also how you're thinking about it. And I appreciate that, but at the same time, you know, I wanted him to know this is, this is just, this is how it has to be. This is how, I, I don't know how else to react to it other than that. I mean, I think that, I think that it's brave. You know what I mean? I think that it's brave that you're capable of putting yourself out there in a vulnerable way. You know, I know that one of the things that I've talked before about the podcast is that a lot of times we see, you know, we see everybody's social media stuff. We see all these things <laughs> and they put out the best parts yep. about their yep. life. You know what I mean? Look at this amazing vacation I'm on. Yep. Look at this. Well, they don't show all the stuff that happens. Yep. That they're not proud of. Yep. And so I think that being brave enough to expose yourself and saying, you know, I needed a little help. Mm-hmm. Here's what my family's going through. I, mean, I think it's commendable. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, w- I wish that more people would act like that, including myself. <laughs> act real. <laughs> act real because we can grow as friends and as community and as this honest body together instead of always trying to have that idea that we got to put together right because none of us do no <laughs> no and and i remember too i wanted <clears throat> i wanted people to understand why 
I felt that way because I had people talk to me at church. I remember you guys, even Miranda coming up to Jamie yeah. and talking to her at church and saying how we thought about these things. And, you know, I, ever since before the kids were born, I, I, I was, I'm a very low, I'm a least common denominator kind of person. So like you, when the kids, when Jamie was pregnant, you know, and the kids were, were born and things, all I wanted to do is just pray that they'd be healthy and safe. And that's all I wanted. And, and I wasn't going to pray to have a boy or a girl or any of this other Like, if I ask for too much, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be in trouble, right? Yeah. So i got to ask for as little as I can. And I know people who, you know, I want to, I need a new car, and I, I pray that I get a new car, and I pray that, you know, our, our big financial thing will work out. And I'm like, I just want our kids to be happy, healthy, and safe. And I prayed for that every day for those kids. And when Evan was born and before he was born, I prayed for that. And that was part of my faith crisis is the, the this idea, and I'm a good Calvinist, we talk about theology, but it's like, <laughs> I prayed for years that Evan would be safe from harm. And God always knew that that was not going to happen. And, and, and I was I was praying out of futility, I thought, and, and I cornered our pastor, poor guy, um, you know, and I'm like, why do I pray every day when these things are already determined, at least in my mind they're already determined? You know, I spent all this time, and this is all that I wanted, and this is all that I ever asked God for my kids, and and ultimately, not only did it not happen, but but He always knew it would never happen, and He said, you know, you you God wants to hear from you. He wants to talk. He wants to know your fears and your concerns and your hopes and your dreams and these kind of things. And God wants you to talk to Him because He wants to know how you're doing. And and I like that idea to to a point, but the reason I posted some of those things on Facebook is because. I felt like even with with an answer that's no answer, you know, even with a with a you never know why these things happen, you never will. Like there's no there's no alternative. To this kind of a thought. Um, to clarify, I guess mom, my mom reads a lot of books and gave me a bunch of books on loss and tragedy, of course. And I read some of them. I did, especially when I was home with Evan. He would just sit on the couch next to me and play his iPad or watch a movie, and I'd sit there and read this terrible books on tragedy by James well, Dobson and well everything you, Well, else. you cuddle in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, one of them was, was this verse, like, or James Dobson thinks, like, you're, you're riding in a car with Jesus. Jesus is driving the car. You're in the passenger seat. And you're thinking, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's weaving through traffic. He's doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, what are your options? I can talk to him. I can't tell him how to drive the car. I can't tell him to turn left or turn right. But I can talk to him. I can engage with him. I can try to understand. I might never understand, but I can try. Or I can open the door at 80 miles an hour, and I can jump out of the car. And that's not good. <laughs> so, you know, like, I, I, I felt like these things I had done were kind of futile for, from a faith perspective, but still there, there's, there's no alternative to me than to, to acknowledge that I'm not in control of these things. And, yeah. and I, 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 if I, even if I wanted to jump out of the car, <laughs> I can't, you, can't, you can't, you can't get off, you can't get out. And it's like I wanted to present that idea to people because you know, we, even though I thought I'd learned this lesson, I hadn't learned that lesson, and maybe a person never does. But I want people to see that because, you know, it's when, when, when bad times come, you know what I mean, and they're come for everybody. Uh, I really think that, and I don't mean to be pessimistic, but, you Every, know. Everybody has Everybody's going to have a storm. Like, yeah. everybody's going to have something come through, and it's not that you can prepare for them, but, you know, like, I could never have been prepared for what happened, but part of me thought that, Gosh, if somebody could see this and say it's not any great faith stand I'm taking, my my the feelings about the whole situation are mixed and weird and changing, and but still there there's just no there's no alternative for me because I can't jump out of the car. Yeah. <laughs> so you know it's it's interesting to me. I remember 
when I came into my faith, you know, being being a little older, it's a little bit easier to play 21 questions. You know what I mean? Well, well what Why about this? this? What, well, what this about this? You know, and yeah. I remember one of the things that I brought up was prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was talking to this pastor and, you know, and, I, and you know, I said, well, I pray for stuff and nothing ever happens, right? Yeah. And I remember he pulled out some verse that, <laughs> and I'm going to slaughter it, all right? But it, Close it's, enough, right? it said something about... Um, if your prayers are not earnest, like not heartfelt, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. then they fall on deaf ears. You know what I mean? And and all I think is, come on, come on. You know, you know and and this is a prime. Ex- you know, I mean, because I pray earnestly that my kids are happy, healthy. Right. You right. know what I mean? You're sincere. I'm sincere. Yeah. There's nothing not more selfish. There's nothing more I want in my yeah. life than my kids to grow up happy. Yeah. It's you know selfish. what? I don't know that I've ever prayed for a new car, but you know what? That is not something I could earnestly pray for. You know what? I got yeah. I got two cars with, you know, two hundred and fifty thousand miles on them. They go from point A to point B. They still go to point A to point B. I'm good. Yep. You know, and so I. But those 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 things, those are earnest prayers, and right. you know, and I never really, I never really came to terms with. Prayer life like that, you know what right. I mean? Like I still remember that guy telling me that, yep. but I don't agree with it. Right. So. Well, here's the. I mean, here's the other thing from this terrible tragedy book. Well, it's actually a very good book, but it was a very depressing book to read. This James Dobson book was the story of Dan, Dan, Daniel in the lion's den. Yeah. And he he's good. They're good. They're marching off to their execution, and Daniel says, "I know my God can save me, but if He doesn't, I'm still going to praise Him. I still I still won't give in. I still won't worship this other God." And, and that thought is fine, it's great even, but it's terrifying, it's terrible. It, it's, yeah. it's, 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 you know, do you really feel that way to say, God can fix this, because he can do anything, but if he doesn't, for a reason that I can't fully understand or never will know, I'll still praise him. He's still God, he's still in charge of the universe, it, it's, it's still the centerpiece of my faith, but that's a scenario. So an earnest prayer is met with a, it's not on the cards. Yeah. And you don't know why. And and coming to grips with that, to me, and I don't even know if I've come to grips with it, but coming to grips with that even a little bit is, is you know, half of the reason I can get up in the morning because I just won't ever know. And and that has to be okay. That has to be all right. Because I know God could, could have worked a miracle. You know, I knew people that prayed for Evan that Thursday night. We were in Iowa City in the hospital room. His appointment was with... The, the oculoplastic surgeon, the guy who removes eyes for a living and replaces them with an implant in your eye socket. That's what he does. That's all that was going to happen Friday morning. There's no possibility of any kind of sudden realization that everything was okay. Like this, there's no scenario that plays out that he doesn't have his eye removed on Friday morning. And I knew people were praying for a miracle, saying they're going to go in and they're going to discover something. And I'm like, but, but no, no, that's not, it's not going to happen. And I appreciated that. Because we live in this real world. Yeah, it's yeah. like, and, and, and you know, it not only... And then, then you have this faith discussion. Well, should I, should you know, do I really believe that anything can happen? Do I really believe that God can fix this? And I guess, I at that point, I I, I had prayed for that on Monday night and Tuesday morning, and that hadn't worked out so well. So then that verse is like, God can fix it, but if He doesn't, then then what's my response? How am I going to behave? And again, I I don't know how else to behave other than to accept that I don't understand, and this is just part of some great cosmic understanding that I'll never know. And I think that that is. You know that idea of if I pray and it doesn't happen, I'm I'm good with it. I yeah. think that that is something that is 
so far easier said than lived out. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I know, I personally know people who have lost parents and abandoned their faith. Right. You know what I mean? They hit a trial, they hit this time in their life, and then they go, I'm done. Right. God can't be good. Right. I, something bad happened to me. Right. And I think that's, that's always a fear of mine now. You know right. what I mean? Because I've seen people abandon their faith because of it. Right. And, you know, saved, not saved, whatever, I don't know. That's right. that's beyond me to rationalize right. where they're what they're doing. Right. But, you know, I, I mean just to depart from the community is bad. You know right. what I mean? Like, you know, live into it. And so mm-hmm. when I see those things happen, cuz I think I think sometimes it's normal that we go Really, God, are you really there? You yeah. know what I mean? And we have those those fleeting thoughts of right. why am I doing this? Right. You know, and for then, me it's like it was like, couldn't can't you hear me? Can't you see what's happening? Can't yeah. you, I mean, if it was me, who cares? You know, I, I mean I was a farm kid. I mean, this is the same thing Jamie's dad said when when Jamie's mom had cancer. It's like, well, why couldn't it have been me? Yeah. Like, I like it's so much worse when it's someone else. Yeah. I mean, when Evan was in pain, it's like there's I'm convinced that there's no worse hell is just seeing a loved one just suffer. And there's nothing you can do about it. And it's like you literally say to yourself, I would have my eye plucked out to, to spare to him of this, this pain. And, and, and why does it have to be him? Why can't it be me? And, and not being able to figure that out or rationalize that or, or understand that, I mean, that's, that's really the worst. That's the worst thing. And then it's like, well, God, can't you see what's happening here? You know, yeah. Can't you know? And that's, and that's me crying on the floor of the office that day. And I remember very well. And it's like, how, how could we get here? Like, what if he never can see again? What if he loses his sight completely? Like, what's the purpose of all this? And that's almost a scary thing, is that there is, I see purpose in it. And that's why I cornered Aaron that day. And I said, why is this happening? There's got to be a reason. His, his eye is within an inch off the ground of this stupid, terrible piece of steel sticking out of this pole. He's literally the only height. Evan is a monster of a child. When he was four, he was the size of a five-year-old. When he was going into preschool, they'd say, oh, is he a first grader? No, he's four, yeah. you know? If he was the size of a normal kid, that pole would have hit him in the forehead. The summer before he got hurt, I got a new job. I worked four nights a week, five nights a week, sometimes every night of the week till three in the morning. I worked with student groups on campus. I got a new job that summer in June, eight to five. First eight to five job I've ever had in my entire life. And if I wouldn't have had that job, I, I, I don't know how I would have worked my old job. I could work from home when I was staying with Evan. All these things started to work out. We bought it, We bought an, uh, an iPad for Jamie's. Jamie needed to teach classes at Iowa State, so we bought her an iPad. We're getting her a phone. They're like, oh, it's $200 off. It's really awesome. And it's like, oh, okay, I'll get an iPad. And it's a Verizon. So I'm buying it, and they're like, oh, yeah, here's your number. And I'm like, oh, crap. It's a cellular iPad. I don't want a cellular iPad. I got to pay ten dollars a month for this stupid thing. <laughs> I'm like this is a huge mistake. <laughs> I'm, I'm standing there. I'm like, like no wonder it's two hundred dollars off because you paid two hundred dollars in two years. Like this is the stupidest thing. I still bought it. That's the only device that worked in the University of Iowa hospital. The day we tried to get Evan to open his eye, yeah. we watched Bolt on that iPad because the Wi-Fi sucked and my phone wouldn't connect. That iPad on Verizon would connect. I started to see all these things. Like there's no other way this could have played out. I mean, we bought a van, we bought a, new, we bought a new house, the van drove us back and forth to Iowa City, and Jamie could sit next to Evan, you know, like, we had this house that we ended up staying in for months and months and months, and not going outside, and we sat on the front porch with Evan, and he would sit and watch the cars go by. Like, I was terrified that there was all a meaning to all this madness. So then, you know, you come to the end of it, like, okay, now what's the purpose? If he was a normal-sized kid, he wouldn't, he would have hit his head. 
you know, we wouldn't have bought this iPad. What would we have done in the hospital that day to get him to open his eye? You know, if we yeah. didn't have the van, we would have had to, you know, trudge back and forth in my car or something to Iowa City. Like nine times we've been to Iowa City. And I'm like, there's got to be some sort of bigger grand scheme here. When and you, it's horrifying to not know. Because yeah, you know? when you look, those things just kind of They start to stand out. line up. And, and it's you, disturbing yeah. to me. It's very disturbing to me. And, and so that's why I cornered Aaron that day. I'm like, you, you, there has to be a reason why. There has to be some sort of... You can tell me 40 little things that happen as a result of this. I'm okay. You know, you send the angel down, he can tell me why. All these things are happening. But there just is no answer for that. Yeah. And, and I have to accept that. And I'm very intellectual and logical about these things. You know, I'm a C.S. Lewis fan. You know, I could make an logical <laughs> argument for the existence of God. But I can't explain that. And it's, it's the most maddening thing for me. And that's what I meant, like, at the beginning, too, when I said, you know, how I think about my faith has changed because it's still there, but there are all these questions that I don't have answers to. And that's what faith is, right? <laughs> so but with those questions, before were you just comfortable with them being unknown and now you're... I had this cute little realistic vision that everything happened for a reason. Yeah. You know, I, I had a high school classmate that died um, very suddenly, I think when we were freshmen in high school. And the story was that, you know, her father and grandfather were estranged. And, you know, after her death, they came together and, you know, the family healed and all these things. You hear all these little stories, you know, about, yeah. you know, the butterfly effect. And this one thing happens and it whittles down all the way and makes this big dramatic change in someone's life. And... I'm like, I guess this is it for us, right? This is the thing that'll happen. And, and I, you gotta let that go, you know, because it, it's, it's, it might be true for people, but ultimately it's kind of like a false hope, you know? And, and I think God's trying to teach us all and teach me in particular that, that these things are not to be understood and that's okay. I mean, I wrote about it on Facebook once, you know, yeah, I mean, I prayed for all these things for my kids, that they'd be healthy and safe and not only was that futile to worry about them falling down the stairs and hitting their head and all those things. But, but not because ultimately I was worrying about something that wouldn't happen that was ridiculous, but I was worried about something that wasn't gonna happen anyway. And I couldn't change it, I can't affect it. There was nothing I could have done that day to change what happened. And so if I prayed about it every day, it's great. If I worried about it, it's a huge waste of time because ultimately it, it's, it's, it's an illusion of control that I can somehow affect this when I couldn't, and there's no better lesson to be learned with that than I don't have, I'm not in control of these you, things. You can't run it. No, no, I'm not, I mean, I'm in no way in control of, of these things from happening. So. I, I hope that, I hope that someday <laughs> something happens with Evan and you can just go, aha, right. that's why. Right. You know what I mean? And, and right. maybe you'll be 86 years old. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you can look back and go, right. That's why it happened. Right. You know what I mean? And, and I would love that. But then part of me thinks, so here's another thing. Um, have, have you ever read the book The Shack? The movie's coming out. And this is, this is a spoiler well, I, alert. I, I didn't read it, oh, but no. my, wife, my wife told me bits and pieces. <laughs> it was a spoiler alert for you what happens at the end. Because <laughs> I, I hated the end of this book. And it was way before, I, I don't even know if I had kids at the time. Mom gave it to me, of course. Uh, and I did read it. It was very interesting. You know, a guy, his, his daughter's murdered. And he goes to the shack where she was murdered to find answers. Uh, and he ends up having this illusion, dream of God and the, the Trinity and their different characters and personalities. They lead him around, teach him all these things. And at the end of the book, I don't remember precisely what happens, but sorry, this is a spoiler alert, but they lead him or tell him how to go find, and he finds his daughter's body. And, and I read this book even long ago, and I thought, this, this, is, this is crap. You know what I mean? Like, like this, is, this is the closure he wanted, but people don't get that closure. 
I, I don't expect to get that closure. Jamie and her, her mom's sudden death, she doesn't have that closure. And so I'm like, this book, to me, it was like, but people don't get the, okay, this is the path to where your daughter's body is and you can take her home and bury her and that's not a happy ending, but it was closure for him. It's what yeah. he was seeking to like, where did she end up? What happened? Where did she go? And it's like, that's not real life, man. And even then I knew that. <laughs> like these are the lessons I supposedly already knew. And it's like, I still look for that closure. I still hope, oh, maybe someday something will happen. And maybe it will, but it's like, that's not real life. And, and, and there's tragedy. And we're so isolated from that in Iowa, in central Iowa, in America. You know, there's not warlords fighting for our homes. You know, people are not gonna come to our house in the middle of the night with guns. We're isolated from some of this tragedy. So when we see it so starkly, it happens all over the world, it happens to people all the time. And, and it's good for me to remember that these things don't have closure. You know, it's not, I mean, the end of the shack is sad and terrible, but like, things don't work out that way. Yeah. You're not gonna get that silver moment like, oh, this is why all these things happened. You know, like, with Jamie's mother dying too, like, there's no good that's come from this. It, it, it's, things are, you know, in her, in her life, and her family life, things are just, just things are messy. worse, and they're messy, and they're, they're bad, and it's like there's no, there's no closure at the end, like, okay, this is why, and accepting that, and knowing that, and having faith that I, that God's ways are unknowable, th that's the only source of comfort for me, you know what I mean, that's, that I have to accept that. I would love to have that thing happen. You know what yeah. I mean? You know, maybe Evan's going to be the recipient of the first, you know, artificial eye implant, optic nerve, all the way to the brain. You know, in 30 years, like some sort of amazing breakthrough in technology. That's great, but does that really make me feel better for all these things he's gone through? Yeah. You know, so maybe I need to think about it differently. But well, yeah, I don't, I don't have any good <laughs> wisdom for you, buddy. I there I, isn't anything. Yeah, there yeah, isn't anything. you know, and I just, I appreciate you guys just living so honestly and so forthcoming mm. and being willing to share and show what it's really like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And, and mm -hmm. not trying to bundle it up as this nice pretty package, right. you know, when, when it's not. Right. So. And I would say too, when people experience this, you know, for, for a lot of other people, it goes away and life goes back to normal. But, but for, you know, for us in this situation with Evan and for people who lose family members and friends, like, they're the ones that, that life doesn't really go back to normal for them. Like it's always lingering there. So, you know, in some cases, not that, you know, it's nice to have people ask how Evan is. And, and then you can't do anything, you can't fix anything. But, you know, it, it's, your life has moved on, but ours is moved on too. But it's, there are things that remain. And yeah. so even those kind of things, be like, how are things going? It's been five years, you know, since you lost your spouse or child or friend or something. But how's it going? Because for that person, it still is. You know, things will always be different. It'll never be the same. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, and that's the hard part about life. Like, <laughs> I think we like that this is what we do. You know, I'm right. a, I go to the bank and this is the yep. day I go to the bank and this is where I get my hair cut. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a, I got all a figured creature out. of routine and habit. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes that throws a wrench into our routine and habit of life. Right. So, right. Um, man, I, we've been here for a little while. I'm going to, uh, <laughs> And we, one of the things we talked about earlier was the idea that some people question and depart from the faith because they hit these trials and tribulations. Right. With you going through these, is there anything that you could maybe let somebody know who just doesn't have this rationale? And I know the answer's, you know, probably not cut and dry, but 
if somebody just has no idea why God is there, mm -hmm. you know, and how can there be a God, would you just maybe say, hey, I mean, there's, there's, there's two answers, I would say. One is like, God does know how you feel. It, it was that day on Easter, and, and, and I was just, I was, I was ripped up by all the things that had happened, and it's like, you have to accept the reality of God and Jesus and these things, and, and if you do that, if, if you're a person who, who was in the faith and a Christian before, it's like, God lost his only son. You know, he, he knew all these things at the beginning of time that this is what was going to happen, that Jesus was going was gonna to pay for the sins of, of the world and these things, and so God is that grieving father. Um, and he's experienced pain and suffering and death and all these things. So ultimately, the person in the universe who knows exactly how you feel, is that's him. And, and it's not necessarily a message of faith for someone who doesn't have it, but you know, it's, it's one of the only comforts you can get to, to know that there are people in the world who don't, who'll never know how you feel, but, but he does. And you know, his ways are unknowable and, and some of those things in this grand scheme that he's put together, you don't necessarily understand it and know how it works, but I mean, ultimately that's, that's the story of God's compassion for humanity. The other thing that I see more and more as I get older, I'm not getting that old, maybe I am, but <laughs> a little more gray all the time, but you know, people search for meaning in all these places and it's all meaningless. I mean, don't read Ecclesiastes, because I've been reading Ecclesiastes, and that's very, it's very funny. Everything's meaningless. Yeah. The meaningless is written like a hundred times in, this, in each chapter of this book. But it's like, people are searching for meaning in all these places, and it's all, you know, I, I, want, a sh I want a show to watch, and I want a, you know, I want, a, I want a movie that I can get into, and I want a game I can play on my phone, and all these things, and you're searching to fill this hole, and there's, there's no, there's nothing that's going to fill this void except God. And being a kid who grew up in the Reformed Church, dare I quote the Heidelberg Catechism, but it's the only one that I know, and it's the first question and answer. It's like, it's what's your only comfort in life and in death? It's that I'm not my own, but belong body and soul and life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It's this idea that, that that's the only thing that's going to get you through day to day. When things are terrible, when things are the worst, when, when your whole life falls apart, that, that's the only thing that's going to, everything else is temporary. And... I really believe that you can get temporary relief and, and, and temporary distraction from all kinds of different things, but ultimately it's all, it's, it's all going to lead you back to God. And if people feel that, if someone's feeling, you know, God couldn't be a part of this, couldn't be the architect of this, couldn't be the master plan, you know, I don't know if, if it's part of his plan or if evil is, is in the world and why God allows evil, these are the existential questions of, you know, yeah. theology, but, but ultimately at the end of the day I know that my only comfort is, is in that faith. That, that God is in control of the world and he sacrificed his son so that I could live and, and be forgiven for all the terrible things that I do to people all the time. And, and without that kind of knowing, it, everything is just empty and, and worthless. I mean, you've jumped out of the car and you're rolling down the interstate and you're like, this is a far worse place than I was before. Beat up, bruised and broken yeah, and alone. Yeah, and you're yeah. wrecked. And, and it's like, you're gonna be searching for ways to, to fill that void and the, there just isn't gonna be anything there. And I guess that day when I was, cr I mean, it was such a ridiculous thought. You know, I'm saying, I'm saying, I don't know if I said it out loud. I'm like, do you know how I feel? You know, God, do you know what this is like? He, he does. You know what I mean? And, and, and I read somewhere, too, in one of these, these books, you know, you can be angry at God. You can be mad at him. He can take it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can say, I'm mad at you because this happened, because you allowed this to happen, because I asked you not to, not to, I asked this not to happen. I begged you sincerely, and it still happened. Yeah. And I'm mad at you for this. But he can take that. 
and you can work through that because ultimately, ultimately, it's going to be your only source of comfort in in this life. That honest relationship. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, I thought Aaron's advice is really good. I do. I talk to God now. I don't pray for things like I used to. I don't necessarily pray that the kids are happy and healthy and safe and things like that. I hear my grandpa's prayer when he was older, pray for the sick and the poor. He would always pray for the sick and the poor. I'm like, hey, God, what's going on? This is what's going on with me today. This is how I feel. This is what I'm worried about. This is what I'm not happy about. This, the, and, and it's it's a different kind of a thing. And, and I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's where I am right now. And like, I took that advice to heart. Like, tell I'll, them what you feel. Tell I'll them tell what you, you think. I'll tell you what I tell all the kids. <laughs> There's no wrong way to pray. No, no. Just go ahead and do no, it. No, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, it's not, I'm not going to with this cosmic wish list like I used to, but I'm like, hey, I haven't talked to you in a few days. I, I haven't, I haven't, and it's just, it's just a method for me to clear my head of all these things that are going on too. And, but yeah, for people, for people who see this, and, and I think we've all experienced that to a degree, um, you know, ultimately there just, there isn't anything else that's out there. And you're going to try to fill this void, and it's ne- it's never going to be filled. And people can they can leave for a long time and be away for a long time, but I feel like they can always come back. And they and a lot of people do, because you know. And as I get older too, I think it's more clear to me that people are searching for to fill this void in their lives, and and it's ultimately going to be futile until they until they embrace faith. I guess. Yeah. I think you're a hundred percent right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, uh, I, you know, I look back at before I was in faith, and you know, yeah, the, you know, the my desires were different. You know what I mean? Uh, money was, you know, why do you want to start a business? Because I want to be rich. <laughs> you know what? Now, why do you want to have a business? Because I can be in control of my time and spend it with my family when right. I want to. Where I can have time off. I can do the things that I want. Right. And have that freedom to do what I want right. and not, you know, have right. to, can I please have a week off? You know what I mean? And, <laughs> right. and uh, you know, money is not the driving force. You know what I mean? Right. We're still eating. <laughs> but, you know, it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, and that, that once that hole gets filled, I think it's easier to find satisfaction in life. Right. So, And, and how can you, I have one last story. It's probably going to go way too long, but you know, you're God. fine, man. We don't have a time limit. We go, <laughs> it's too we go long. as long as we it's want. I just, you know, I'll go on forever. I've written out a lot of stuff. Evan had this thing where he was saying, uh, "What's the opposite of stuff?" And he's like, "Oh, this is another story like you asked about Evan." But you know, what's the opposite of up? It's down. What's the opposite of purple or red? That's kind of a harder question to answer. You know, what's the opposite of hard or soft or something like that? He was doing that for a long time. He's in the shower one day. I'm getting his pajamas out or something. He yells at me, "What's the opposite of fear?" Opposite of fear. I think he was five. I think it was just a few months ago. What kind of question is that? And I said it out loud without thinking. I said, trusting God is the opposite of fear. And I, I, I thought about it. I'm like, but, but is it really? You know, is, is my worry and fear for the future just a sign of my lack of faith? That these things are going to be okay? Or even if they're not okay, it's just how it is and that needs to be okay with it? But it's like, how can I ignore my son saying that to me? It's like, did he already know the answer? What did he say to that? What's the opposite of purple? What's the opposite of down? What's the opposite of fear? Fear? <laughs> what? Well, it's trusting God. It's having faith that, that this, this world is, is as it's supposed to be and with all of its craziness and, and what can you do about it? And how, how can I ignore that for my son? You know, how can I not yeah. acknowledge that that's the voice of someone far more wise than you know, he is? <laughs> it, uh, it amazes me when 
my kids come home with questions about faith. <laughs> just in how... Existential questions. Yeah. And who, who, I just... Who put this in your head? <laughs> I look at them and, and sometimes I don't even know what to say. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and so it's probably not the nicest thing in the world, but I go, you know what? That's a great question for your Sunday school teacher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a good question for your mom. Yeah, go ask your mom about that one. ask her about that. But uh, it, what is the opposite of purple? I don't know. Like okay. like light red or something? I don't know. It's <laughs> a lot of tough questions. Like, what's the opposite of a chair? Oh, a bed? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So. I just I, I can't ignore that those things are either for me or for him or, or or an example for someone listening to this podcast. But I mean, that's that's just craziness. That the kind of stuff that comes out of his mouth sometimes. Yeah. And he does it all the time. So. I have to accept that that's something else that's supposed to be you know teaching us something. So. Yeah, you know, and, and <laughs> even the kids, you know, mine, you know, we pray with them every night before bed, and, you know, my wife will do her rounds, and we pray, and then <laughs> I'll do my rounds, and we pray, and, you know, usually I get the same prayer, yep. you know, God bless mom, God bless dad, <laughs> amen, you know, and every once in a while, though, they'll throw something yeah, yeah. in there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I just... Look at them, and I'm like, "All right, okay. You know, I think that uh, I think we got something going here." So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, man, I appreciate your time on it. Is there no. anything else before we close up that that you're feeling or no? I don't good? think so. Yeah. All right, man. Well, hey, it was an honor talking with you. <laughs> Thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. everybody thanks for listening i really hope that you enjoyed the show um, as much as i enjoyed sitting down with him and talking Uh, i hope that you can take a little bit from it i hope that it helps you possibly work through some of the ups and downs that you're having or could potentially get in your life remember that uh, you can always stay in touch with us continue the conversation let us know how you're doing on facebook uh, at the god watch podcast And then also visit our website, see what's going on, stay up to date on some of the other shows at uh, godwatchlive.com. And uh, have a great week. Be blessed.